When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hello, friends. How are you? I hope this finds you well. Uh, Edith Bowman here. Thank you very much for choosing to listen to this week's episode of Soundtracking. Um, I've also got to say a massive thank you to, well, a whole load of people for a lovely response to last week's episode for Bailey Walsh, which was just really lovely. Um, It was really nice that Abba Voyage tweeted out about it and really nice that you guys connected with it as well and found a really interesting insight into the making of that phenomenal show. So much appreciated for everybody who got in touch with regards to that chat last week with Bailey Walsh talking about directing the ABBA Voyage show. Uh, This week then, our latest guest on Soundtracking, uh, well, they're partners in both personal and the creative sense, whose latest collaboration sees them bring us the utterly wild and I think fantastic and very funny, very colourful bullet train. Husband and wife team of director David Leach and producer Kelly McCormick have a lot of fun with a great cast to tell the story of a motley crew of rogues who all mysteriously find themselves on the same Japanese train. I'm not going to lie, the results are bonkers, but in a very entertaining way. As well as featuring an array of truly brilliant needle drops, Bullet Train is very deftly scored by Dominic Lewis. And it's with one of Dominic's cues that we'll begin. All aboard! David, Kelly, welcome to Soundtracking. This is where I get to talk about the relationship with music and film. And this film mm-hmm. is a great example of how beautiful this relationship can be. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Um, I have to say yesterday I had the, the luxury of watching the film in a beautiful cinema on my own. And I'm kind of glad because I made so much noise <laughs> from reacting <laughs> to the film. It's, a real, it's such a physical experience. It was awesome. Where does the music start, the journey with music for your film start? 
I mean, I always have um, a few instinctual songs, usually needle drops that are, um, you know, needle drops. I mean, you know, cuts yeah. from cuts from albums that are inspiring me as I'm reading the script. I mean, atom- I started this process during Atomic Blonde, where obviously that was driven by music in an era as we were trying to set up a world of 80s cool. Yeah. And so I was starting to put the needle drops in the script right away. This really, the Staying Alive track, was one of the first things that stuck in my mind, sort of on theme for Ladybug's character, but also sort of like the tone of the movie that I wanted. Like, it was fun. Yeah. I wanted to get the energy of the crowd to understand, like, you can go along for this ride, and this is how, you know, you can feel happy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so what's great about ne- needle drops is that you can access emotion immediately, and yeah. I think um, if they're used right, it can really help you as a storyteller. started there and then we've we collaborated with a great composer on this Dominic Lewis who elevated everything along the way we re-recorded those needle drops with um artists from Japan he created original material that we can get into and um the collaboration with him has been a joy and it's he's taken us on a bullet train of his own (laughs) yeah the um needle drops started dropping out because Dom's (laughs) like score was so so incredible and songs were so incredible that it just started going like oh like the wolf sequence was supposed to be i can't remember what song but a song identifiable like love song ballad that with like latin influence and suddenly like dom shows up with this amazing it's incredible piece. yeah it's incredible he doesn't know spanish he's like <laughs> trying to sing through the spanish and like this is how i want it to feel and it's supposed to be about love and all this stuff and then ended up you know adding like lyrics with alejandro songs yeah. yeah and um and got him to sing it and it's just extraordinary he even calls him his uh, flamenco brother now alejandro <laughs> does, because dominic's voice is incredible and i think it was even daunting to an artist like alejandro to hear the demo oh wow. we had the demo in the movie for the longest time and it was amazing and his powerful raspy voice he would do um He's a great composer, but he also was in Hans's camp for years as a vocal, and he did vocal stuff for him. Yeah. And so he, I want you to ask more questions, <laughs> but we'll go on. Great. We're gone I love for it. We would just go on. Fifty minutes, like he's <laughs> a genius. It's brilliant because you have these two 
very iconic songs that have been re-recorded by Japanese artists, which is brilliant. Mm. So you've got Staying Alive and then Holding Out for a Hero, yes. which is phenomenal. And the vision of Michael Shannon with the wind machine in the air. <laughs> that wasn't and a wind that, machine. That, that, that was just weird. That's just how we lived. around like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was just like, yes, I need that in my life every day. It's just brilliant. And the timing of things is just so perfectly done. In between that, you've got a bit of Engelbert Humperdinck yes. in there. And then, but that's reused in very clever ways. So you have mm. different versions of it. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got that slightly kind of morphed version of it. I don't want to say too much about where it's used because you don't want to give too much yeah. about the story away for people and stuff as well. And then you've also got the uh, the version with the Cockney Rejects yes. in there as well. It's yeah. just kind of, it's so clever. Let's talk about that track in particular well, uh, and the reusing of that and and how that journey's formed. And Yeah, I think it started with Aaron Taylor Johnson's character. He started putting on... West Ham socks and he had a West Ham tattoo. <laughs> so and he was like, he's, you know, he's a, he's a West Ham fan. I'm like, great. And so, um, so is Dominic. So is Dominic. He's <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, there's this no, song. No, in real life, no way. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you know, there's this song they sing. It's kind of random. And it's like, I'm forever blowing bubbles or whatever it is. Yeah. And he started sing, playing it for us. And yeah. it's like, maybe we should just deconstruct this in all these different ways to let it be the theme song of basically their brotherhood because it's the theme song of the Brotherhood of West Ham, basically. And it just is so ridiculously perfect. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. Again, there were a lot of like fun things like that, discoveries on this movie. And um, we were really fortunate that fate brought us all these happy accidents. Like, again, without the West Ham socks, he wouldn't have, you know, I mean, we never mentioned West Ham. Like, you know, you just, Who would? but then Dominic, yeah, exactly. I get that a lot. Especially so then, here today. Well, as my nine year old calls them West Ham and Cheese. <laughs> his granddad's a West Ham fan, so yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, so again, it was beautiful. And again, having a Brit do the score, he could really lean in. Engelbert Humperdinck, that was a whole nother thing. Like, he, he was such a fan of the song. Yeah, first person we approached, it was Dominic's idea. 
his he's got a million siblings and one of his sisters they called Bubbles. I think it was her actual name, Bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> and he that was Bernice. sort of her theme song for their whole family. He'd been singing it his whole life, but he'd never recorded it. And now he's 80 something and he came and recorded it with us at Capitol Records. It was, so it's a new recording. It's yeah. a new recording. It's a new recording. We did oh, it especially wow. for the He's going to start singing it at his concerts. He still has concerts. Yeah. Oh, we oh, got to wow. we got to get Sony to drop the behind the scenes on that. It's amazing. It's so, amazing. He has bananas behind his headphones so that Sony, he can hear himself better. And it's just like these smushy bananas behind his ears. Yeah, like he, it's so crazy. He likes to hear playback, but he likes to hear his voice and yeah. he's figured out the perfect width to the space that he needs. He puts bananas behind his ears and it's just like I am the most surreal. He's, it was awesome. Right it was and so cool. With bananas. So cool. We it was He's best day. A delight of a human. Yeah. Yeah. like this wonderful you seem very open to collaboration that's you don't always hear that you don't always hear people who are open to people coming in with ideas and throwing things your way and it's so lovely and refreshing (laughs) to hear that and you can see how excited you are to share those stories and how that part of the process is kind of what's made this film so great I think thank you yeah it might be I mean I David is an extraordinary collaborator and he I think it might come from the fact that he was below the line for so many years and so knew how the department sort of integrated and connected and kind of created the things that became the movie ultimately and you know he is very much a guy and a lot of people say this and aren't really it but like you know that uh best idea wins and how do we amplify each other's ideas because filmmaking is a craft that is made among many and it's just really always really exciting and the movie just keeps continuing to evolve because of it i think that's so great i love the i love the process and i love to see it transform and evolve and um it's he's uh, always behind it, like manipulating, <laughs> like puppet master. It's long, it's, oh, Chef. it's Chef. long lead, long lead, long lead. You know, if you're fighting long lead battles and you're finding opportunities and um, you have to be open to the universe. It's mm-hmm. like fate. I'm not lying. Like making a movie is like bullet train sometimes. It yeah. really is like, how's it going to come to you? How's it going to come back to you? And react to those things that face themselves at you as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Mentioning, um, you know, Aaron and and the twins and and Brian. I mean, I want a prequel. I want a I want an origin story for those Great. two, please, because it's just it's such a beautiful chemistry relationship that we watch. You know, yeah. those two. You know, start yeah, with the whole that, that last song is actually really cool too. The one um, where Brian finds Tangerine, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. five hundred miles, yeah, yes. which is a Japanese um, like it, ballad from yeah. a long, long time ago, right? Yeah, it's a folk song that was popular in Japan, and I, I'm not sure its origins, but the group that the sang it was like a '60s group, but it's a that's a original track.
like you say, there is so much. This, the, the score is phenomenal because it does so many jobs as well. You have the kind of themes for the different characters as yeah. well, which is great. But then you almost have themes for the different carriages yeah. as well, which I kind of, uh, the, the, quiet, <laughs> the quiet carriage is kind of like, okay, it's time for a bit of meditation. And even the quiet fighting is genius. It's so great when Brad and Brian are trying to do quiet fighting. It's, it's, it's great. But it's, uh, uh, you know, I kind of almost watched the film and then had to kind of spew out all my kind of thoughts quickly a- afterwards. But that's a clever thing, not just the kind of the actors and the characters having having themes, but but physicalities having themes as well yeah. as the journey as they're moving through that train. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, that uh, those are all the layers that I like to, to fold into a movie. And I think that the, having source music playing that is just triggering something that you're not even thinking about, but, you know, subconsciously makes you aware, you know, that crazy Momomon theme song that, that Dominic came up, you know, and it plays in one part so and it's annoying. really funny. And then in another <laughs> scene in the movie, it's like really disturbing, yeah. but it's the same thing. You know, it's like these really disturbing moments and you're hearing this da, 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 in the background. And you're just like, I feel, so, I don't know how to feel right yeah. now. I'm torn. It's, yeah, it's great. And so I love playing with source and uh, we were just we had so much fun, creative fun in the movie. Yeah, I, we our first conversation with Don was like, we want to. This is like Peter and the Wolf. Like every character is so bold and so big, and 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 we have to articulate so much of each of them in very short periods of time because there's seven, and they all are complete and full. You know, so it was like we need themes for each of them in a way that you kind of always know where you're at with them, even if it's like, you know, changing and evolving and growing as you go through it, it's still got the same tone intonation and vibe that like, you know, you started with. So that was really a touchstone for us where we kind of were like, let's do our version of Peter and the Wolf with these crazy characters. Try and bring it all around at the end. And, and he did, um, he created a lot of themes before we even started shooting. So we had them to play on set and not all of them landed, but I would say like a good half, three quarter we were working with, you know, we had the white death theme and we had princess theme worked out and we had the elders theme and I would play them when we were in different scenes to get the emotion there. You know, oh, and the crew amazing. loved yeah. it. Yeah, and the crew yeah. was like, "This is what this is going to be cut to," and I'm like, "Yeah, oh, <laughs> it was wow. fun." Yeah. yeah. got to ask about Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> I mean it's I mean I have two boys and quite a large portion of my life has has been in very much submerged in Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> world but where did that was that in the book was that in the yeah was it it was in the book wow yeah, yeah. and was such a brilliant uh, sort of character <laughs> device and like seeing this character with this odd superpower and and sort of a code that he bases life on we we love it um but yeah it was in the book it was not a it's one of those things that I think, is truly inspired. Yeah, I mean, I think the points that David uses it and like, you know, how it really pays off in the end in such a brilliant and un, 
expected way yeah. was past the book, but um, you know, yes. it was definitely there. The the energy was there. The yeah. ideas were there. I'm really glad you didn't use the theme tune anywhere as well. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I've heard Whoa, it enough. Yeah, um, it's like, yeah. um, I think you got yeah, too many early mornings. <laughs> yeah, totally. But the, I tell you who I absolutely loved on, on screen was, um, I'm going to apologize for, for the pronunciation, but the elder, Hiroki. A phenomenal presence on screen. Mm-hmm. Yes. He just makes you feel safe. Yeah. Yeah amazing casting throughout this film but with him particularly and his theme there's just this beautiful synergy with it all do you mind talking a little bit about that character and and about that theme in particular because it's got that real cultural relevance to you know japan and and the journey this train's on really i think as well it's true it's true like his journey is the journey they're all on ultimately Mm -hmm. i mean they're servicing a lot of different you know own karmic debts and and um fate connections but at the end they're servicing his revenge so that was really sort of the heart of the movie and what's great is that in the book we wanted to we wanted to really like bring some of the characters from the book and 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 anchor them in the movie like andrew koji's character and hiroyuki's character and their dynamic and that relationship and make that the heartbeat of the the movie the soul part Mm -hmm. of it and hero's an incredible actor i've had the the, um fortunate to work with him a, Mm -hmm. a couple times and he's brilliant yeah, he really is. And he's really great at action. I mean, his oh, sword work is yeah. phenomenal and he's so graceful. And everyone was just like, oh, my God, you're really <laughs> impressed with him. He's it's like royalty, a master. Almost, you know, that kind of thing. Of the pre- you know, he's on the screen, but he still has this presence that makes a, you. Yeah. You know, and, and the music, to speak of it, really supported it, I think, um, Dominic did an incredible job of like making that stuff emotional and um, Watoro's theme we called it like the heart the sort of strings that come in that are just like you are feeling it's sort of epic it's grand it's it's traditional it's like it's everything you want just opposed to all this craziness yeah Um, so it really did help anchor the movie to score or give the right sounds to a fight scene where do you start with that because there's musicality to movements there's fluidity to movements so what comes first because hearing you talk about the fact that there was music playing on set and because of your background I don't know if you're involved in the choreography of those scenes and stuff and Mm -hmm. things like that or being that specific about it but what's the kind of journey of that side of things with those scenes I mean sound in fights is um 
half the battle. It's really important. You have to temper it. It just depends on the tone of the movie. You know, I think um, like the, the quiet car, we're working specifically to make those sounds work for the conceit that we have with the music and play. That was hard. In Atomic Blonde, where you rip out the music and there's like seven minutes of, um, you know, Lorraine Broughton uncut going through this traumatic thing. You're heightening the sound and you're removing music and yeah. it gives you a different feeling. So um, it's a, it's all part of a plan and it's, you have to put it into the mix early on. You're thinking about it when you're choreographing the scene, like where is the sound going to land? Because you're going to be relying on it, you know. Again, it's like half the battle in a fight scene. Yeah, one of the challenges on this one was um, the end. So when Brad and Lemon, oh, yeah. or, you know, when Ladybug and Lemon are having their sort of thing in the conductor's car, and then, you know, Mike, uh, White Death yeah. and Elder are having their thing in, yeah. the back, in the back of the train, there are very different emotions going on. And... Um, and, and there's different stakes too, actually, you know, and so, and, and so it's like, how do you combine and twist and turn so that it's not jarring it, but you are sort of switching focus. And if you listen to that section we spent a lot of time on that section Mm -hmm. and it was really, it was probably one of the biggest challenges I think we've ever had musically, Mm -hmm. how to like sort of integrate the two of them and make them feel like their own pieces, but that they actually flow together as well. It's pretty, it's, it was, it was hard. That one was hard. Where do you start when you're choreographing, choreographing, you know, a fight scene? What's the starting point of, of that? Um, it's generally the character, mm-hmm. like where does this person need to go in this scene and what do I need to see them do? Like, what do I need to learn about them? Yeah. And then it's like, from there, it's like, okay, how am I going to define that and how are we going to make it interesting and then compelling? But the first is always, what are they, what did, what did this, what does the story need to know about this character when the scene is done? Because otherwise it's, it becomes an empty thing unless there's a shock in it or there's a gimmick in it or... Um, but for the most part, you need to know more about the character, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, if it's spectacle action, it might be a little bit different. Yeah. It's like you want a propulsive sort of yeah. you know, energy to mm-hmm. it. And sort of it's if it's more plotty, it's it's a really, really different, you know, sort of vibe musically as well as choreo yeah. sort of probably. But, yeah, most of our stuff is character-based, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Kelly, with regards to, like, this there's amazing the you know the production on this film as well and and it's it's so beautiful across the you know the, the train is kind of like god i want to be on it you know yeah. i kind of want to i want to go on this journey it, it is as a producer in terms of the i guess some people might look at it as limitations because you're you're confined to this space but obviously you have a few exterior things as well but does that give you a kind of wonderful opportunity to play with that with with what you have as yeah, a producer I mean, it, yeah it, it, look it, it was one of the things that we that was a big challenge at the beginning. And, and, and it was also one of the reasons we did it because COVID, we thought that if it were sort of more contained, it was a little safer. It was before the vaccine. So none of us knew much about the disease. And yeah, we wanted to get our film family working. And so, um, you know, we were weirdly able to use the Sony lot, which you never get to do as a film anymore. Not only shoot in LA, barely people shoot in LA, but also the um, lots are used for TV and they're booked for years and years and years. So the fact that it was open and available and we used like three different like stages was fate (laughs) and and became, you know, we sort of look at a lot of things, problem opportunity, but became a bit of an opportunity in the sense that I think if we could have gone to Japan, we would have. 
and, you know, using LED screens and creating the sort of, you know, um, heightened, allowed us to create a heightened world that, you know, I think the movie needs because it's a, it's a fable to, you know, through and through. And yeah. um, so if it was grounded a little bit more in reality and what we could have sort of been seeing instead of like, you know, sort of fabricating and heightening, yeah. um, it would have felt very different. Yeah. And this one in particular, I think we, we did not have very many cars in production or really, honestly, very many. I think we only had one platform. platform. We just wow. And we kept wow. redressing them again and again and yeah. again. So it was wow. a sort of set deck nightmare, but oh, they did such a phenomenal job. <laughs> yeah. yes. There's one particular... Yes station scene actually where where Aaron's character says it's like some fucking 80s dance off <laughs> <laughs> such a great line and then that kind of that cue that comes in off yeah. the back of that and that scene is brilliant but the tone is so great as well and I I was reading you know the, the idea that there's so much fun in this film for me and I, but also it's invested emotionally and your aim as filmmakers is to make something that's original. I think that you look at the films that you've worked on, you know, as a team, is that something that you're definitely doing? And that's Thank got to you. do with so many things, visually, the the tone of things, sonically uh, as well. And I wanted to, I, I hope you don't mind me asking, but, you know, I know the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club, <laughs> but to think back to you know, working with Brad as, as a stunt yeah. double on that to the circle of now and directing him in this film. Mm -hmm. That must be lovely to think about that journey. It is. And, I, and I, I've said it a couple of times in this junket, like it is about fate. You know, it was really beautiful those years that I worked with him to provide my skills as a choreographer and a stunt prefer, for, performer to like support his characters and help him build characters that were influencing these movies. And now that our careers have gone this way and he's at the top of his acting chops and he's like in the prime of his career and has all this knowledge and um, I've risen to the director's chair, he can create a character for my film and support it. And, and actually one that actually is on theme and like supports the other actors and is like his ideas are bringing up the tone and like, He's a brilliant um, collaborator, um, and um, it's really just beautiful that fate brought us back for this movie, and it's kind of poetic that way. But I feel like this is a, that he's not had a chance to play something like this as well. This is a different role for him, and you can see he's having so much fun with it. It just just pours out of the screen. It's so great to watch. Yeah. It really. Was, we, we agree. We feel really lucky that he wanted to be that guy. I mean, he brought a lot of that. In a, he brought the hat. He brought the glasses. He brought the vibes. He brought the existential crisis. <laughs> what was in the script? And he, he brought, brought the, the smart toilet. He, <laughs> smart toilet. Oh yeah, just so <laughs> great. Yep. He yeah. brought and he brought the fun. He wanted it to be fun and yeah. you know and really use his he's a he's really funny and yeah. he's got great comedy chops and he wanted to bring all that and we felt really lucky to get that version of yeah. brad pitt i mean i don't think it's maybe no. ever been seen before we want to see more of that for sure yeah. definitely yeah yeah you're impressed with his role as a stunt man as well and once upon a time in hollywood how did he do i am i am i am <laughs> i was saying to him it's a different era like i don't remember you know going to an old school bar in hollywood and drinking uh whatever <laughs> Bloody Marys and, or like I having to pick you up in the afternoon because I don't drive you around. But there was an era of the Hal Needhams and the Burt Reynolds that they were reflecting yeah. on that that was like that dynamic um, that's sort of legendary in the stunt world. So, yeah, I think he did an incredible job and it's fun. Like, yeah, those movies are so fun. Yeah. yeah. Quentin's I mean, movies Quentin's are genius. amazing. Yeah. I'm excited about Fall Guy, too. Oh, thank you. We yeah. are. We are, too. It's it's a it's been fun 
the, the pre-production process has been really fun and we're looking forward to making it. So. I'm hoping that you might have the original theme in there somewhere. <laughs> Whether it's Ryan we doing it. To we listen to it for a while. Uh, yeah, it's like, what's that line? I'm the unknown stuntman who makes Eastwood look so fine. No, that yeah. part's okay. That part's okay. okay. The, part. the rest of it's... Yeah, yeah. Of it's yeah. yeah. I mean, bring it up to date. <laughs> Definitely, lyrically. But, I, you know, it's like, maybe get Ryan to redo it. That might be, a, you know... Well, there you go. Yeah, Lee Majors did a great job. Yeah, I'm so excited about it and I'm just, you know, I'm um, as a film fan, it is it's great to it's a great ride to watch your films. So thank Thanks. you for this. Thanks thank for your you. time. From Bullet Train, that's the Monument theme. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with David Leach and Kelly McCormick. My huge thanks to David and Kelly for taking the time to talk to us. Bullet Train is on general release now and is very much in the spirit of the John Wick movies. So go watch it. Indeed, David co-directed John Wick with Chad Stahelski. And you can hear my chat with Chad and none other than Keanu Reeves if you head to edithbowman.com along with every other episode of the podcast. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And do send us an email at info at edithbowman.com. It could be to tell us about your thoughts on Bullet Train or any of the films we've talked about. Some of you are suggesting people you'd like to hear on forthcoming episodes, so please do get in touch. Info at edithbowman.com. Next week, oh, I am thrilled to welcome back to Soundtrack and the one and only Mr. Jordan Peele to talk about his phenomenal new film, Nope, which stars Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya. Jordan Peele is next week's guest on Soundtrack, and I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.